Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. Today, we are ending a series called The Jesus Calling. And if you've been here for the last few weeks... Um, you kind of know where we've been. If you haven't, I'm going to kind of catch you up a little bit. This entire series, we have been unpacking the definition about what it means to be a disciple. At Grace Point, we would say that a disciple is becoming a fully obedient multiplier following Christ or following Jesus. And over the last four weeks, we or last three weeks and this week, we are unpacking or have unpacked those words along the way. Just to recap, we would say that a disciple is becoming, the word becoming, a few weeks ago we talked about the word becoming and identifying the fact that it's a process, it's not a one and done thing, Uh, it's not something we do one time and say, yep, I'm good, I'm now a disciple, but instead we are to become, it's a process, becoming what? Becoming a fully obedient, fully obedient. We unpacked that a little bit and we talked about the importance of being fully obedient would be someone who listened to the words and also did what Jesus said. So not just to hear it and mark it off and check a box, but instead let it uh, affect the way that we live our lives. Becoming a fully obedient multiplier, where we were last week, talked about the importance and the call that each and every single one of us have on our lives to invest in and to multiply ourselves in to someone else. And this week, we'll unpack those last two words, following Jesus. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them. We're going to be in the book of John most of the time. So put your finger in the book of John chapter 8. And if you would, keeping your finger there, also flip back over to Luke chapter 5, where we're going to kind of unpack the calling of Jesus's first disciples. Now, this calling of Jesus' first disciples in Luke's account is in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. His calling of his first disciples was incredibly simple, right? These two words, follow me, are incredibly important. They're incredibly loaded. This is not just something that's like, hey, come follow me. These words are incredibly loaded. This uh, story of the account of the life of Jesus it is all um, in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew and John are eyewitnesses, so they're going to give their account on a firsthand uh, basis. Mark is, um, give, gives Peter's account. He's buddies with Peter, and he gives Peter's account. And then we find Luke, and Luke actually opens his Gospel with his credentials and be like, hey, guys, I'm an investigator. I'm here to find out all of the ins and outs of all the things that you're getting ready to read. I'm an investigator. So Mark, or excuse me, Matthew and John, eyewitness. Mark, Peter's eyewitness firsthand being told. And Luke, the investigator. Luke is much like you and me. And he's going to give us some specifics that the others may not necessarily deem um, as something that they're going to include. Even though they may, you may read the exact same story in two different or three different or even four different gospels. Luke is going to give us a whole lot more details. So Luke chapter 5, verse 1, this is what Luke would write. One day, as Jesus is standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. The the calling to follow Jesus 
always begins with information. They are learning. They're standing on the seashore, if you will, and they are listening to Jesus as he is teaching. Matthew's version would not necessarily include these details. Luke's going to give us a little bit more than Matthew. Matthew's Jewish. He's writing to a Jewish audience. They kind of have a little bit better context, a little different context. So he doesn't necessarily give us all the ins and the outs as Luke might. But Luke tells us, hey, by the way, they're standing and they're listening and Jesus is teaching and they're listening and they're gathering all this information and people are crowding around him because Luke is like you and me. He's going to give us a little bit more. They're crowding around. They're listening to Jesus or gathering information. They're listening. They're learning. They're listening. They're learning. It's information. It's not a blind faith to follow Jesus. If you were to continue reading in Luke chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, you find this invitation that Jesus says to come and follow me and I'll make you something that you're not already. Come and follow me and do what I do. It's not a blind faith. They're learning. Andy Stanley would say it this way, that real faith is built on truth. It's built on teaching. It's built on learning. It's built on listening. It's not blind faith. Jesus built people's faith while beginning with information then teaching and listening and learning. So after this information was gathered by all these folks who were standing on the seashore, if you will, they're standing, they're listening, they're gathering information. After they've listened, an invitation to follow me, an invitation was extended and a decision had to be made. What were they going to do with the information that they just heard about? Jesus is saying, follow me, do what I do. That's because the call to be a disciple is a call to imitate Jesus. Do what I do. A call to be a disciple is a call to imitate Jesus. What's a disciple to do? Jesus would say it this way, that Jesus would say disciples are to continue in my word. I told you to keep your thumb in John chapter 8. Go ahead and turn there. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32. John's account. Remember, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. John, Matthew, eyewitness. John's giving us his account. Here's what he says. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The New American Standard would say, if you continue in my word, you are really my disciples. This is incredibly important. This, such, there's only a handful of verses in the entire New Testament that are so rich in what it means to follow Jesus. In the Greek, the original language is incredibly important to unpack as to what this actually means, okay? So if the Greek's important, let's study it a little bit and give you guys a little bit of word study. If you guys are like, woo, then bear with me because it's important today, okay? Continue In my word. Disciples are to continue in my word. The word continue is the Greek word minate. Minate is the exact same word that we find in John chapter 15, which we read about earlier about the vine and the branches that we get our word abide. So other translations may say abide in my word or continue in my word. To abide or continue in or to minate simply means to sit under to remain in, to stay with, to be with, to, to, to spend time with, abide. Okay? Abide, continue, minate. 
Greek words, abide, continue in what? In my word. There's a couple Greek words for the word, word. Rima. Rima would suggest it is a specific word in a specific time for a specific audience from a specific person. Limited, if you will. The other word, which is actually the word here, is logos, which is not specific to a person or place or thing or time or audience or person giving it, whatever. It's not specific. Instead, it's, it's the mindset. It's the philosophy of. It's a holistic view, if you will. So here the word is logos. So when we are told to abide in my logos, we are being asked, we are being told, Jesus says, continue in my word, in my logos, we are being told to study and to know his mindset, his philosophy. Not rima, that's specific, but his mindset. It's the exact same word, logos, that appears in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word, logos. And the word, logos, was with God, and the word, logos, was God. In the beginning was the word, was the logos, was the mindset, was the whole. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. In John 8, 31, which we just said, to hold to my teaching or to continue in my word or to abide in my logos, the whole being. So the call here to abide is more than just abiding in something that we hear once a week coming to church or a podcast that we may listen to on the way to and from work or even just a simple verse from Scripture. Yes, that's incredibly important. But here the word logos is so much more than that. It's about his mindset, his philosophy. What does he, how does he view life? How does he view scripture? How does he view people? What is his world view? That is what Jesus is talking about here. So what does it mean for me to have Jesus's mindset? What would it look like for me to actually continue in his word, abide in his logos, in his being, in his whole mindset? I would suggest that it would affect what we do. We wouldn't just stand on the seashore and listen to it, but instead we would do something about that, which what we've heard, what we've just heard. Lawrence Richards would say this way, true disciples put into practice Jesus' teachings. To know right, but to do wrong is to live in slavery to sin. It's a Pharisee. To put in, excuse me, but to put practice But to practice Jesus' teachings is to experience a truth that brings total freedom. I think there's three things that we can learn about what it means to follow Jesus. Following Jesus begins with information, but it's followed by a decision. It begins with gathering information, but it's followed by a decision, by a choice. There is a moment when a man must either accept or decide what he is going to do with the information that which he just heard. There's a moment when a man accepts what Jesus says is true, what Jesus says about the love of God, what Jesus says about the cost of sin, what Jesus says about the meaning of life. Then he makes a choice to follow Jesus, perhaps. And if he follows Jesus, that's when he begins to be a disciple. Then the role of the Holy Spirit comes in because the Holy Spirit's role in this situation is to make us and help us in the journey as we reflect Jesus in the process of being more and more like Jesus. 
So following Jesus begins with information, followed by a decision, and following Jesus means constantly remaining or abiding, continuing in my word, logos. It means that we listen, that we learn, that we obey. We do something about the information that we've just heard. It shapes who we are tomorrow, so we're different than we were today, which we are different than we were yesterday. It's a process. Luke 6, 40 would say it this way, the student or disciple is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. You see, a disciple doesn't learn to just gain academic satisfaction, but instead it's, to, it's in order that we may find out what God wants to do and that we may learn what he wants to do and then we may do it. Third thing is that following Jesus results in freedom. Following Jesus results in freedom. Verse 32 would say, then you will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Jesus here talking about freedom would have likely irritated the folks he's talking to. It would have irritated them. We know that because the very, very next verse, they begin to argue with Jesus. If you ever find yourself arguing with Jesus, you should probably stop. You're going to lose, okay? Okay, here's what it says. Verse 33, but they answered him. Now, this is in rebuttal, if you will, to him saying, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Here's what they say. We're Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves to anyone. Really? How can you say that we're going to be set free? And they begin this argument. Here's a little history, okay? They've never been slaves to anyone, quote unquote. They were in Egypt for 400 years. Why did Moses have to come to Egypt? Because they were slaves. When the northern kingdom fell to Assyria, what did they do with them? Made them slaves. When the southern kingdom fell to Babylon, the Babylonians came in, what did they do? They made them slaves. And oh yeah, by the way, that Roman soldier standing right over your shoulder, why is he there? Because you're slaves. They're totally oblivious. And it probably is like, what is wrong with you sometimes? Like we have all been around people who are just oblivious to the obvious, right? It's incredibly frustrating when people in bondage won't admit that they're actually in bondage. But they were thinking about a political freedom, and Jesus is talking about a spiritual freedom. Why is that important? Because Jesus is saying you are going to be free from fear. You're never going to walk alone. You're going to be free from fear. You're going to be free from self because Jesus changes who you are. You are now made new. You are no longer who you once were, but now you are brand new. Freedom from self, freedom from other people, because it doesn't matter what other people think. H.G. Wells would say it this way, the voice of our neighbors often sounds louder in our ears than the voice of God. The disciple is a man who has stopped caring about what other people say because he thinks only about what God says. Freedom from other people, freedom from self. Freedom from fear, and last, freedom from sin. And it's not because we're not going to sin anymore. It's not because we are going to be made perfect. It's because the price for our sin has already been paid, and we are forever free from it. That is what Jesus is talking about, what it means to be free. All that in those two verses about what it means to be a disciple, to continue or abide 
in my word or my logos. Jesus would also say that disciples are to love one another. John 13, verse 34 and 35, here's what he would say. He says, a new command, I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The word love is used 12 times in the first 12 verses, but it's used 44 times in the last nine chapters. 12 times, the first 12 chapters, 44 times, the last nine chapters. This is kind of a story, if you will, or the, or the, the capturing the last week of Jesus' life and ministry And Jesus is laying down his last words to the disciples and love is a theme that continues to pop up as we read the second half of John. Big deal. Time is short. His message is incredibly urgent. He's getting ready to go somewhere where they can't come with. Why is that important? Because he tells them to love one another. How did he love them? He loved them selflessly. He always placed their needs above his desires. Always. Philippians chapter 2 would say it this way, verses 5 through 7. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset that should ring a bell. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but instead he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant. He always loved selflessly. He loved sacrificially. There's no limit to what his love would do. There's no far, there's no distance that's too far. And ultimately he would sacrificially give up his own life for you and for me. Philippians chapter 2 would continue on and it would say, ultimately he became obedient to death, even death on a cross. He loved sacrificially, he loved selflessly, and he loved understandingly. Even when his disciples, even when the guys who were with him all the time didn't quite get it, he loved them understandingly. My group last semester studied the book of Mark almost verse by verse, verse by verse, verse by verse. And there's 12 to 15 people who are, standing, who are sitting around a circle as we're studying Scripture. And I cannot tell you how many times as we read Mark's account of Jesus' ministry on earth, as we read it and we were like, oh, man, what is wrong with the disciples? Like, how are they not getting this? They would ask such silly questions like, hey, we forgot what you did just five minutes ago, but how is this going to happen? Or how is this going to happen? And like, they just don't get it. But Jesus loved them understand, even though... He loved them understandingly, and number four, if you will, he loved them forgivingly. He forgave them. The leader among them denied him. They all fled in his hour of need, and at times they were blind, they were insensitive, they were slow to learn, somewhat cowards, but in the end, he forgave them. So how are we to love as Jesus loved? Selflessly sacrificially, understandingly, and forgivingly. Jesus would go on and he would say, 
that a disciple is to bear fruit. It's the passage that we studied a little while ago when Brett read John chapter 15. Disciples are to continue in my word. Disciples are to love one another and disciples are to bear fruit. John chapter 15, verse one, here's what it says. I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. While every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes it so that it will be even more fruitful. Important phrase right there. Number three or verse three. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up thrown away into the fire and burned. Verse 7, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory. Listen, that you bear fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. These words that appear here are abiding and bearing fruit, abiding and producing fruit, abiding and producing fruit. And I think on one side over here, we have this concept of abiding, this concept of pruning. Why are we pruned? We're pruned so that we can produce fruit, so that we can look more and more like Jesus. We abide, we sit in, we sit under, minate, continue. Remember that from earlier. We sit under, we sit with, we abide And in that process of abiding, we are likely to be pruned. Ouch, that doesn't feel good. But why? It's so that we can produce fruit. We can bear fruit because disciples are to bear fruit. This this word abide is used 11 times in all of these 11 verses. First 11 verses of John chapter 15. What does it mean? Why do we abide so we can produce fruit? See, abiding relationship here, the abiding relationship between a a, a vine and a branch, this agricultural talk would have been completely natural when it comes to vine and branches. But in a Christian life, it's not as natural. In the Christian life, it's not as automatic, if you will. Abiding in Christ demands worship and meditation and prayer and sacrifice and continuing or abiding in what his word is logos why so we can bear fruit i don't know that i like the process of abiding very much it sounds painful it sounds like this or that or whatever maybe it's lonely i don't know warren wearsby would say it this way your heavenly father is never nearer to you than when he is pruning you sometimes he cuts away the dead wood that may cause trouble, but oftentimes he cuts off living tissue that is robbing you of your spiritual vigor. Pruning does not simply mean spiritual surgery that removes what is bad. It can also mean cutting away the good and the better so that we might enjoy the best. Pruning, abiding, so that we can enjoy 
the best. Maybe you're like me, and every spring we, we have to work in the yard. The blooms begin to come back. The weeds begin to come back in the flower bed, and we've got to go to the flower bed. We've got to do something about it. We've got weeds that pop up in our flower bed or in our yard or wherever it may be. We've got weeds that pop up, and we have to do something about it. And the picture here that I would, that I would like to, for all of us to just kind of consider this morning is that when there's weeds that pop up and we've got to do something about this whole vine and branch thing, we've got to do something. So what do we do? We go straight to the roundup. I know this weed has to get out of my flower bed and I got to do something about it. You know what the easiest thing to do is? Roundup. We spray it in hopes that it's going to die. You see, this is a story that would only focus on sin in our life. This is the story that only focuses on sin in our life. I know they're not supposed to be there. I don't really know what to do, so I'm just going to kill them and hope it, hope it gets better. The second story is kind of an offshoot of the first, if you will. And in this story, we, we tried the roundup. Maybe it hadn't quite worked like we think. The weeds are still there. We know they're still there. We know we've got to do something about it. We tried the roundup. That doesn't seem to work. So what do we do? We're going to go and we're going to get us some shears. And we're just going to chop down the problem. Because if I can't quite kill it with the roundup, maybe if I just chop it down, it'll kind of disappear a little bit. And we just pretend like everything is okay. We come back maybe the next day and we realize it's still there. I got to do something. So we go and we get some mulch in hopes that this mulch, we can just cover it up, right? We're just going to cover it up. Nobody's going to notice that that weed is there. So we're just going to cover it up. And you know, the problem with this is as we cover it up and, and hope, we know there's something below the surface that's brewing. We can't quite seem to get it. We're just going to cover it up in hopes nobody notices what's going on. So what do we do? We just chop it down we just cover it up. And the next day the weeds come back and maybe we throw some more mulch on it again just because we didn't quite get it there to begin with. And this is a story that we can't quite seem to get rid of it. So we'll just cover it up. And on the surface, it all looks good. But underneath, we know there's a whole lot there. You see, when we abide in worldly things, we produce worldly fruit. Or perhaps even just no fruit at all, just worldly weeds. And the third story is a, is a story about a God who doesn't just kill the weeds or doesn't just get rid of the weeds. This is a story of a God who looks to flower bed and says, you were intended for so much more than this. These have some grains of truth. Yes, we need to, we need to get to the bottom of it. We, can't, we don't really want to cover it up, but on the surface we want it to look good, but we also want it to look really good underneath it. And yes, all these things are true, but, but Jesus also says, no, 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 I don't want to just look at the flower bed because I don't just hate sin. I'm a God who loves life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to uproot the weed in your life and I'm going to replace it with a flower because I love life. Because I love life, I'm going to replace those weeds in your life, that sin in your life, with chasing after Jesus. And you know what? I'm not going to just stop there and be like, oh, everything's good. I know what you need. You need 
fertilizer. You need that fertilizer to be around the roots, to give your roots a space to breathe. And in that breath, may life come every single day. Because I don't want to just save you. I want to dig up the old and replace it with the new. And that's the story of the gospel. Second Corinthians 5.17 would say it this way. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. The old is gone and it's been replaced with the new. We don't attack it with Roundup. We don't attack it with just covering it up and pretending everything's okay. We're going to grab it by the source and we're going to get rid of it and we're going to replace it with something that is new. I don't know where your, what your background is today. I don't know if this is your first time or your 400th time to be in this room. But here's what I know. A calling to be a disciple is a calling to continue in his word to love one another and to bear fruit. And if there's never been a moment in your life between you and the Lord where you've said no to weeds and yes to something new, then today you're like the calling of the first disciples. You're standing on the seashore and you're learning and you're listening and you're gathering information. And at some point, you have to make choice we're going to close a little different today I'm going to ask everybody to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a few minutes nobody looking around if you would this is just a moment between you and the Lord Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God Romans 6 23 says that what we earn for that sin is to be eternally separated from him The wages of sin is death, but there's good news. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Romans 10, verse 9 and 10. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, then we will be saved. And maybe you're sitting in the room today, and if you were to just be honest, there's never been a moment when you've asked Jesus to be your Lord. There's never been a moment when you've said, I want to truly be a disciple. And today would be the day that you would want to begin that journey. It's a process. We understand. I'm going to ask that you would just simply repeat these words right after me. This is a prayer between you and the Lord. Just, if that's you and you say, I want to begin a journey with Jesus today. Would you just repeat these words quietly in your heart, just between you and the Lord right after me. Father, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I missed the mark of perfection that you have set before me. And I understand that what I earn for that sin is to be apart from you forever. But I accept the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ that you're offering me right now. Father, from this day forward, I want to be made new. I want to chase after you. I want to bear fruit. I want to love one another. And I want to continue or abide in your word, in your mindset, in your logos. In Jesus' name, amen. If today 
you prayed those words just a few minutes ago and you meant it. And there's never been a moment in your life where you have prayed those words or something similar to them. I'm going to ask you to do something bold in just a moment. I'm going to leave and go right back over there to those doors. And as the band gets ready to play and as the band plays, we sing this song. I'm going to ask you to stand up from where you're seated, gather your stuff and walk right back over there. And you just tell me, I just prayed that prayer. I would love the opportunity to be able to get to know you a little bit, your story briefly, so that we can come alongside you and help you in the process of what it means to be a disciple. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for the truth of Scripture. The truth that we are to continue in your word, that we are to love one another, and that we are to bear fruit if we are your disciples. God, for those in the room, maybe for the first time, who just prayed that prayer and they meant it just a few moments ago, I pray that they would have the courage to get up from their seats and to let us know. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live Sent.